This podcast is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Now available, the Fuller Leadership Scholarship for students who begin the Certificate of Christian Studies in spring of 2019 or summer of 2019. This new scholarship will cover up to 100% of certificate's tuition cost for select students and is designated for ministry and marketplace leaders looking for new ways to impact their congregation, community, and calling. Take courses in the areas like missional churches and leadership, Christian ethics, dynamics of power and gender in Christian leadership. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash leadership scholarship. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. Before we get to our conversation, we want to make you aware of a very exciting conference coming up in February. CBF's ChurchWorks Conference creates a space each February for congregational ministers of education and spiritual formation to be equipped for the journey through creativity, community, and worship. To teach the people of God, educators need a place to be equipped, to be inspired, and to be renewed. ChurchWorks 2019 focuses on sharing the love of Christ by battling injustice, exclusion, and marginalization in our communities. Hear from unique voices of those bearing witness to Jesus Christ in their communities and creating a true sense of belonging to God and to one another. Join your colleagues February 25th through the 27th at 3rd Baptist Church in St. Louis, Missouri. Visit cbf.net backslash churchworks to register. Our guest for this week's conversation is a writer, spiritual director, teacher, retreat leader, and founder of Transforming Center. Ruth Haley Barton is the author of spiritual formation books and resources, including Pursuing God's Will Together, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, Sacred Rhythms, and Invitation to Solitude and Silence. Ruth, thank you for joining the conversation. Oh, it's great to be with you. Now, we uh, read your words often. I'm sitting here in my office staring down at least four of your books, Um, but often we don't really get the story behind uh, the writer and spiritual director. So tell us more about you. Mm-hmm. Well, when people ask me what brought me into this um, this work, I say that it has to do with my own great need for it. Um, hitting my own wall in my early 30s, I always joke about the fact that I am an overachiever, even and up to include and including the fact that I burned out at 30. Some people wait till they're 45 or 48 or 50, but oh no, I um, hit my wall in my early 30s. I'm a pastor's kid, and so I was raised in a ministry context and then went into ministry myself right out of college. And um, so by the time I was in my early 30s, I had been in ministry for 10 years, and I had three children by then, and I was on staff at a church that I loved. And um, yet I was beginning to notice that all was not well internally. You know, there is this dynamic where, you know, your life can be going well externally, and you can even be... um, experiencing certain levels of success, even in ministry, and yet internally there can be emptiness or chaos or much that is unresolved. And that was my experience in my early 30s, was that my little star, my little ministry star was rising, but I was needing to acknowledge that I wasn't living well, I wasn't healthy in my body, there was, you know, a performance-oriented drivenness that I wouldn't have known how to name at that time. Um, All I knew was that I couldn't stop working as hard as I was working and being as busy as I was being. And trying really, really hard um, to, you know, to be good at everything that I was doing. Um, 
you know, the, my loved ones were not receiving as much from me as they would have liked relationally. There were questions that I'd harbored for a long time um, that were deeply spiritual and theological in nature, but because I was already in ministry and in a, in a, you know, public position, um, I, I didn't know where to ask those questions. I didn't know where to go to ask the questions that might have blown up in my ministry context, but I needed to ask them because they were questions that uh, I needed to take up with God. So um, I noticed emotions as well that I could mostly manage, but not always control. So things I was angry about, what I had seen as a pastor's kid in the church and things like that. But I had not known how or where to go to process those things. Um, Sadness that would sometimes ambush me and I didn't know how to deal with grief in God's presence. No one had taught me that, you know, back then victorious Christian living was the thing. And so when you are already a person who's being seen as, as being a leader for others, it's really hard to know what to do with your own empty places and questions. So it was at that point that I really hit up against my own limits, but also the limits of my um, conservative evangelical Protestant upbringing um, for the next steps of my journey. I needed more. I needed more guidance for my soul and I needed a safe place to say true things to God and to let God say true things to me. And so that's how I first encountered having a spiritual director. I never thought to become one. Never, never, never. Um, and yet that did end up being at least part of the call in my life. So um, the, the short answer is that my way into this area of work and ministry now is just through the doorway of my own desperate need for these things myself. Well, hopefully all of us don't have to face a vocational car wreck of self-care before we discover what you've discovered. And, and it's so funny for me to think about that. Uh, you know, in the, in the last few years of training and peer learning, we talk so much about self-care, but you know, and you're, you're the, you're the spiritual leader, you're the spiritual director here. You know what, why do you think at least for ministers, we're not prepared for self-care? Mm-hmm. Well, part, you know, I'm glad that maybe in settings that you've been in the issue of self-care is being raised, but I don't think that's been the general, you know, the general practice in seminaries and in the preparation of pastors. I think we're having more of an emphasis on it now, but 20 years ago, that wasn't always a really strong piece of your seminary training or your preparation for ministry. And I think that's why people in my generation did burn out was because it wasn't seen as a part of the academic preparation for ministry in a seminary environment where people are preparing pastors. Do you agree with that? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we were taught to care for the congregations, but in no way were we prepared to care for ourselves. And it was almost right. like that was viewed as a selfish thing to do. Yes. Or weak, you know, that people might question your capacities if you felt the need to have more clarity around that or were concerned. They might question your capacity then or your passion for ministry. Um, and so, you know, part of the passion for my life is to try to get pastors and people when they're younger and before they hit the really big wall or the really deep and dark burnout to get them before that happens and to help them establish sacred rhythms in their lives and to help them to listen to their soul and, and understand more clearly how one can discern when we are losing our soul in the context of ministry. What are the markers for that? How do I know? And what do I do once I do realize that maybe I'm losing my soul or something important is slipping away, like my relationship with God? Many, many people in ministry have the experience of having the public persona of one who leads other people towards God, but um, their 
their own relationship with God is suffering and the intimacy is gone. And that is a, a really desperate feeling when you realize that everybody else is looking to me to lead them into intimacy with God. But the intimacy that I used to feel, I don't feel it anymore. I don't have it. Um, it's been a long time since God and I have had an encounter that changed me. It's been a long time since I've received a personal word from the Lord. It's been a long time since I have felt fully refreshed and replenished in God's presence. Um, I'm, I'm out of touch with God's guidance for me. I'm just doing what I do through strategic thinking and planning. You know, those are important admissions, but they're frightening as well. Um, but it, it happens and it's happening quite a bit. So you had this personal experience and you start to, to step into this, um, I would imagine um, taking care of yourself um, and then starting to reflect on how you might be able to take care of others. You for uh, over the last 15 years have, have led uh, transforming center. Tell us more about it. Mm -hmm. Well, the transforming center exists to care for the spiritual and soul care needs of pastors and leaders and, and influencers, really any Christian leader who wants to bring a, uh, and forge a greater connection between their soul and their leadership. Because you know, even secular people who lead in secular environments, if you're Christian at all, you want to do whatever you do. You want to lead wherever you lead out of that place where God is present to you, which is what I mean when I talk about the soul. I mean, the place where God is present to you, Romans 8, where God's spirit is witnessing with our spirits about the fact that we are children of God. And from that place, we cry out with that very intimate address for God, Abba, Father, you know, that there's a place within each and every one of us where that communion happens between me and God. So that's what I'm talking about when I talk about the soul. And so many leaders over time recognize that they would like there to be more connection between their soul and their leadership rather than a false bifurcation where I deal with my soul during my devotions. And then during my leadership, I just bring my intellect and my strategic thinking and planning and my driving and my pushing. Um, there's a limit to what that can accomplish. And there's a longing that we have to live integrated rather than to live in a fragmented way. And so um, we, we exist to help leaders to actually forge that connection between their soul and their leadership and um, to be intentional about an ongoing process of transformation, even while they are in leadership and in ministry. And of course, with the crisis that, I mean, I think we're approaching real crisis as it has to do with leadership and the spectacular falls and failures of high profile leaders really should be giving all of us pause right now and um, causing us all to be really careful with ourselves and to say, um, how am I caring for my soul? How am I continuing my own journey of transformation? Um, and so that I can be sustained for the long haul of ministry. And so that's the question. That's the issue that we seek to address through our transforming communities, which are 27 months, um, a series of 27 or nine, nine retreats over 27 months um, where people, pastors and leaders are invited to really learn about sacred rhythms and establish sacred rhythms, have a safe community where they can talk about the stuff that is harder to talk about in the congregation where they're serving. Um, and, you know, emerge from that 27 month experience with sacred rhythms in place that will sustain them for the long haul, um, more fully uh, adept at the process and practice of discernment where we're discerning God's will for us rather than trying to just be reactive or ego driven. Um, so those are the, the kinds of things that we help pastors and leaders to consider. Well, you all encounter, I mean, hundreds of ministers in a given year, and you talk about these retreats and uh, these uh, cohorts, if you will. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I know there's uh, a, a lot of variables when it comes to to burnout and downfalls of of ministers, mm -hmm. but what are some of the most common traits, if you will, um, that you're seeing within leaders mm -hmm. that are 
are, are failing or are facing uh, self-care issues or are burning out? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously it's not the same for everyone, but I think there are some, some things for us to watch out for and for us to be aware of. Obviously, one is an, a level of busyness that keeps us exhausted, that keeps us out of touch with our soul and disconnected from the reality of God deep within ourselves. Um, and pace of life is really significant. If we're always pouring out for others and always moving so fast, there's no time to drop down to that place of the soul and to hear what your soul wants to say to God and to hear what God wants to say to your soul. There's no, there's no opportunity or not enough opportunity to rest ourselves in God. So the, the, the pace of life that's not human um, and, and that's not sustainable for the long haul, uh, coupled with a lack of understanding or practice with sacred rhythms or you know spiritual rhythms that can sustain us spiritually is one huge factor, I think. Um, this sense of almost an arrogance that uh, other poor people need that, but I don't. I'm better than that. I don't need that. Um, there's a kind of arrogance that we run into sometimes where pastors just think it's never going to happen to them and they don't need any help because um, they've got this. That, that That is a kind of arrogance that we indulge to our own peril. Um, I think also m- people get into ministry out of passion, and it's a good thing, um, but they don't realize that their passion can actually wear them out and keep them always in an adrenaline rush. And uh, it's hard to step back. It's hard to practice Sabbath. It's hard to practice solitude and silence because we're saying no to our ego-drivenness for a little while. And it takes almost a desperation sometimes for us to be willing to say no to my drivenness, that ego-driven thing where I keep trying to build and build and build. Um, You know, to enter into some of these sacred rhythms, we have to say no to that sometimes. Um, There are often unresolved issues in our lives that um, you enter into ministry young. No one's really helped you to look at family of origin issues or places of emptiness or places of psychological brokenness. Um, or spiritual emptiness, compulsion, drivenness, addiction, things like that. And so for a time, you can keep all that under the lid, but eventually you get tired enough. And and also you get to be enough of a celebrity or you get to be um, someone who's been in such an authoritative position for so long that they don't let anyone speak into their lives. They live very isolated at that level. And if anyone tries to speak into their lives in a challenging way, because they're in a position of power, they can just dismiss that person rather than having to listen to what's really going on. Um, that's very serious. I mean, there's narcissistic tendencies in that as well. Um, from a psychological perspective, um, a narcissist is someone who thinks that they live above the rules. Um, they are someone who uh, has a hard time acknowledging human limitation. Um, they are often people who are at the core in the secure. So anyone who challenges their authority gets dismissed rather than engaged. Um, and then over time, you just have yes people around you. So there's no one who's challenging you. That's extremely dangerous, extremely dangerous. Um, so, uh, you know, I think oftentimes our accomplishments and our success can keep us out of touch with the deeper psychological issues that are driving our bad behaviors and really do need to be addressed. Um, and I, I think the issue of drivenness, not really knowing what's driving a person, um, just keeps you on that treadmill until sometimes you crash. You just can't keep it all going anymore. Um, so there, there are lots of factors that play into it, um, but those are a few. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. 
for 25 years, center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. There's a, a collision of, of burnout rates and ministers and closures of churches that has to raise mm-hmm. some questions for for all of us to consider. And, and all too often there's an assumption that, that busyness is what ministry looks like. It's an assumption that ministers feel like they have to live into for congregations and congregations often put pressure on their ministers. But, but I wonder for, for our parishioners that are, that listen to this conversation, what are, what are some things they can do for, for their ministers to, to create systems of self care for, for the people yeah. that are also caring for them? Yeah. Well, um, if you're talking about lay people who are serving in leadership in the church, like elders, vestry, deacons, um, whatever the, the terminology is, is comfortable, um, that those people are in a particularly influential and important role, I think, um, because they have a position in which they can actually insist upon some things um, out of out of a desire to care for. So the practice of Sabbath to make sure that whatever whatever decisions we make in the church it still makes it possible for pastors and high-level volunteers to practice Sabbath-keeping and that that's something we talk about um, and insist upon, you know, that, that we have Sabbath in our week. I'm telling you, I would not be here talking to you today if it wasn't for a, pardon the pun, but my religious practice of, solid, of Sabbath. I would not be here to be able to say anything intelligent to you. Sabbath, I think, is the kingpin of a life well-lived in God. Um, so, you know, to to insist upon Sabbath keeping, insist that someone take their vacation um, and insist on sabbaticals at the right intervals and, and provide resources so that the, the, the sabbatical can be put together in the right way. Um, those kinds of things can be, you know, extremely important. Um, providing funds for spiritual direction and or psychological counseling and creating a milieu in which that's not seen as being a negative or a weakness, but that's just seen as something as that's part of one's care for oneself. Cause all of us have our issues. All of us have a need for someone who's outside our ministry context to help us listen to God, like a spiritual director would. So to see that as being part of what's offered to a person in their employment situation as a pastor, um, those things are really important. Um, I think parishioners can become quite out of touch with how human the pastor and the pastor's family is. So to see them as human beings, um, human beings that are hurt by criticism, human beings that are hurt by talking behind their back, human beings that need encouragement, um, human beings that have to deal with loss when parishioners leave. I mean, one of the things that I talk about and that we talk about together with pastors a lot is the fact that oftentimes in congregations, after someone has, a pastor has poured their life into people in the congregation, those people just get up and leave without even saying anything to the pastor. Or they, they leave because there's a better youth group or a better band in the, in the church down the street. And people don't realize that pastors who have been pastors for a while have gone through many, many losses. Um, 
And oftentimes those, those losses are unprocessed because there's no way to process them. And they just continue to take a bite out of your soul over time. Um, and so to give the same kind of courtesy to a pastor that you would give to a friend in all sorts of different ways, um, to be really, really committed uh, to treating that person as a person um, and being good to them in some of the basic human ways. Um, offering up your condo or your, um, you know, your beach house or something to them for a vacation because probably on their salary they can't afford, they can't afford it. Um, things that are just kind with no strings attached. I think those are some of the things that we can do as, as parishioners and especially maybe the high level lay leaders like elders and deacons and personnel committees and things can provide that. We've um, had people come and David Hughes is one of them. Um, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't mind at all. He tells his story publicly all the time and we tell it a lot in the transforming community that um, when I went to preach at his church, I could tell how exhausted he was and um, suggested a transforming community to him. And he didn't think, you know, couldn't see where the money would come from and, and stuff like that. And um, someone in his congregation stepped up and said, no, we want you to do this. This is what you need. So we're going to pay for it. I mean, that's how it happened for him. Um, so can we support our pastors in this way? Um, those are all really important, important opportunities, I think. I've got some former church members of mine that I'd love for you. We could end the conversation early and I can give you their phone number and you can call them mm. uh, with that very important <laughs> message. Yes. And yeah. say, you know, the Holy Spirit moved me to yeah. suggest this to you. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be vindictive of me at all. No, not at all. Not yeah. manipulative or anything. No, no, no. Well, ministers are never known for that anyways. We, mm-hmm. we, yeah. That's right. So in November, you released your latest book, um, An Invitation to Retreat. Um, the book is a theological and practical guide to reclaiming the spiritual practice of retreat. And you wrote, retreat is a winsome call from this intriguing person we call God, the one who loves us, the one who is inexplicably drawn to us, the one who knows us so intimately, what we need in order to be well. Um, what's the drive behind this book? Well, um, the drive behind it is the fact that I believe that Jesus is calling us as his disciples to come away and rest a while, just like he called his early disciples. And again, I think that in our high performance driven culture, we think that time away with God in retreat is a luxury. We might think that it's only for people who are weak or don't have capacity to lead or who don't have, you know, maybe we think, well, I don't have any really big problems, so I don't need a retreat. Um, But you know, that passage come away and rest a while is Um, a ministry context where Jesus is saying to his disciples, people just like you and me, uh, people who would be the leaders of the church, the future leaders of the church, he's saying to them, in order for you to sustain your life in ministry, you need to learn this rhythm of work and rest. And and retreat um, is a longer and more extended period of time in solitude and silence where there is the opportunity for the deep rest, body, mind, and soul. And um, it gives more spaciousness for processing life and for hearing what God has to say to us. And I think that retreat is very essential, absolutely essential. And that's why the subtitle is the gift and necessity of time away with God. I remember when we argued about that in publishing meetings, because the subtitle we were headed towards was the gift of time away with God. And I said, no, wait a minute. No, no, no. This is more than just a gift. This is more than a luxury. This is a necessity for the Christian person who's trying to cultivate a real relationship with God and who's trying to continue to enter into a deeper level of transformation. We simply must have these times when we are not living so distracted and so exhausted. Um, 
So I think it's an essential Christian practice that is just getting harder and harder for us to practice because of the high performance culture that we live in, but also because of the intrusion of technology. Uh, one of the quotes I came across as I was um, reading the book uh, was when you wrote, true inner retreat requires that we relinquish all our attempts to fill the void. I literally spit my coffee across the table because I, a couple years ago, used your book, uh, Sacred Rhythm, uh, to go onto a personal retreat. And I remember... Mm-hmm how quickly I was trying to fill my time doing work instead of actually doing a retreat. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> and so I, and I'm, I, yeah, <laughs> I'm really honest about that in the book. How many times in my own beginning practice of retreat, I was trying to get a twofer. Like, so I'll do the spiritual practice of retreat, but I'm going to write thank you notes or I'm going to, you know, make, write a chapter of my next book, or, you know, I'm going to try to finish this list of books that I've been trying to read. Like I literally am trying to get the twofer where I have a retreat, but I also get stuff done. How embarrassing is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was such a fascinating statement to me. I felt obviously convicted by it because I did it myself with, yeah. with, you know, with one of your resources while I'm reading one of your resources, which is just ironic. Um, but I wonder if you might share some of the more creative ways you've seen people try to construct a retreat into a new setting of actually getting work done instead of retreating. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, well, I just share with you my own ways. <laughs> um, well, I think there's all sorts of ways that we can go on retreat and yet still try to escape it. So um, in all the retreats that I lead and that we lead here in the Transforming Center, at the beginning of every retreat, we are literally teaching people about you know, turning off their cell phones, because if you, you know, you can really cheat a lot now with technology. When I first started leading retreats, there was no such thing as cell phones. And now I'm really dating myself. So that's embarrassing. But I guess I will say I have been doing this for a long time. And when we first started leading retreats, I didn't have to deal with people having cell phones. I didn't have to deal with wireless computers that can be brought in to, you know, the retreat venue space. And so I've had to get much more specific with people because I can send them into solitude and we can have structured the whole thing for these extended periods of time for listening to God, but they can escape it by turning on their phone and scrolling through Instagram and Facebook um, or checking email. And so for some people uh, on our retreats, we actually offer up that there are people on our retreat who will take your phone if you don't think you can handle it. And people give us their phones. (laughs) They try to do a retreat, but they can't resist the urge. And so they give us their phone at the beginning of the retreat and we give it back at the end. But how lovely when someone can acknowledge their weakness acknowledge that they just can't do it without some help. Um, and they let us help them by either, you know, taking care of their phone for them. Um, we babysit phones, if you will, we take very good care of them and always return them, you know? Um, so to even to cheat by stealing a glance at your computer and opening up a few times during your retreat time. Well, every time you do that, you're taking yourself out of that quality of being present to God and you're taking yourself up and out of that place of deeper reflection within your own soul. And you're allowing whatever's out there in the world to intrude, uh, whatever's out there, whatever email somebody has sent, whatever Instagram post someone sent, however you get riled up with jealousy or envy or fear of missing out or whatever happens to us all. Um, when you do that, you really forfeit the deeper benefits of retreat because you've now taken yourself out of that that deeper place of reflection and allowed the world to come rushing in whatever it is that someone wants to, you know, put in your feed. Um, 
So I don't even know if I answered your question, but I do know that those are some of the challenges. No, I just find it to be hilarious that no matter how old we get, we still feel like we're in youth group when we go on retreat because to date myself, it was turn in your pagers. You're not allowed to have them on the church retreat. Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, you, you wrote that we enter into retreat driven by a desperate thirst. I wonder um, if you might share with us some of the feedback that your readers have given you about this invitation into this new practice Mm -hmm. um this new old practice (laughs) um because it's as old as jesus himself um but yeah i think people find it to be a challenging invitation i'm hearing that i'm hearing you know that people are challenged but that the longing is deep that there's something about the articulation of the invitation and it's invitational language by design because we don't i i equate retreat time to be a lot like the weekend away that a husband and wife might take together. And they do that because they long to be with each other. And they, they do that not because they're not satisfied with their life together in their family and in their house and all that, but they do it because they realize that sometimes if you want a relationship to deepen and you want to recapture and rekindle intimacy and passion, you simply must get away. We all know that. All of us who are married know that those, those weekends of getting away are really, really important. And that's all retreat is with God. If we want to deepen that relationship, if we want to experience new levels of intimacy, um, if we want to, to find the spark again, if we want to hear that person, you know, if I want to hear God talk and I want to say some true things to God, retreat is the context for that. So the book is structured also in such a way to help people get in touch with their longing and desire so that they enter into this practice from longing and desire, even though it's challenging. Um, they're so in touch with their desire that they keep pressing through whatever the challenges and the obstacles are because they know they want it really badly. Um, so people are doing that and they are, they are using the book to create the space. And it also just gives some support. I think we, we all need support for practices that are counterintuitive and countercultural and, and even confront our false self issues. We all need support. And so in, in this book, um, and in the book, Invitation to Solitude and Silence, which preceded it, I am seeking in these two books to function as a spiritual director, to help people uh, structure their retreat time, to help them know what to expect and what to pay attention to during their retreat time, to help them reflect, to help them to know what might contribute in a positive way to their retreat time, and also through practical exercises to help them to debrief uh, what's happened and to really capture what God is saying and what God's doing in their hearts. The book's out. I know you got a bunch of retreats coming up this year. Uh, what else is next for you? Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, always more writing. And so I'm struggling right now to find the space to write. I've got, you know, two project, projects that I'm juggling between and that I feel called to. Um, and here in the Transforming Center, we've been leading transforming communities for 15 years. Um, but now we are in a much more intentional way also taking what's happening in transforming communities and helping leaders apply that to life in their churches. So uh, we're really engaged in what we're calling the Transforming Church Initiative, where um, pastors who have been through an experience of transforming community now get to ask and answer the question, how do I bring this back to my setting? How can I help my church to become a transforming center? And so it's very, very exciting. And 15 years later, we have pastors who are really prepared through their own inner journey to be able to now lead transforming churches out of the soul of who they are. And that's, it's really exciting. It's a patient plotting process to have taken, you know, 15 years to do that, but we feel like we're standing on, on some firm and solid ground 
um, with pastors who have been on an intentional journey for a long time and can with inner authority and inner, um, uh, yeah, inner authority can teach and lead others in this way within church contexts. For those who want to stay connected with Ruth, you can visit transformingcenter.org. Of course, she has her personal website, ruthhaleybarton.com, and go out and purchase Invitation to Retreat wherever books are sold. Ruth, thank you for inviting us into sacred reflection so that we might be our best selves. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you for such a thoughtful and enlivening conversation. Really appreciate it, and the Lord bless you. Well, that's it. That's our episode. Be sure to check out our annual sponsors' websites, the Center for Congregational Health at healthychurch.org and Fuller Seminary at fuller.edu. For more information about the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, including stories about our church starters, field personnel, leadership development, peer learning groups, and advocacy, visit cbf.net.